0: At this point, I would invite you to uh, turn back to Scripture. And please turn to Genesis, Genesis chapter 3. And as I said before, we will be looking at the first seven uh, verses of this portion of Scripture. Uh, Genesis 3 from verse 1 to verse 7. So as a congregation, um, we have been studying Genesis for, what would it be, the last uh, maybe six, um, six or seven weeks, something like that. And what a, an incredible, what a marvelous picture has built up, hasn't it? You know, we've seen the, 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 the pre-existence of God, and we've seen the, the meticulous ordering of creation. And we have seen man, man made in the image of God. We have seen woman made as this uh, perfect companion for God. We have seen perfection, haven't we? We've seen light, we have seen blessing, and we've seen provision. And today, what happens? Today, all that comes crashing Today, the lights go out. Today, all this falls apart. Because in Genesis 3, we come to what is beyond doubt the single darkest episode in the history of mankind. Genesis 3 is where it all goes wrong. It all goes wrong. And as um we consider this morning this kind of a uh, spiritual disaster area, because that's what it is. As we consider the spiritual disaster area, what we're going to do, slightly different, we're going to have two main headings. Okay, two main headings. I'm, being, I'm maybe being slightly disingenuous, because depending on how time goes, we might chuck in a sneaky little third point at the end there. But for the main It will be two points, two points from this portion of Scripture. So, if you've got your Bibles open, if you're ready, let's make a start. And let's consider the first point, and that is the origins of sin. Okay, the origins of sin. Now, do you remember last week? Do you remember we looked at a couple of famous uh, lines from, what was it, Jerry Maguire? Do you remember that? What were the lines? Um, You had me at hello, I think, was one of them, and you complete me, was the other line. Well, this morning, as we look at the first verse, or the first couple of verses of Genesis 3, it's really another line from a film that kind of jumps out, isn't it? Do you remember... Uh, the usual suspects. Have you seen that film? Do you remember the tagline for the usual suspects? And it was in all the posters, the usual suspects. And then it said this The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. The greatest trick the devil ever, ever pulled was convincing the world. He didn't exist. But we see here, in the very first words of Genesis 3, that even if the world doesn't believe in him, even if society doesn't believe in him, we see here that the evil one certainly does exist. The evil one is a reality. So, under this first heading, origins of evil, let's think about the evil one. Let's think about who he is and how he acts. Let's think about who he is, the evil one, and how he acts. So who is he? Friends, who is the evil one? Well, although there's not all that much in the way of detail given, when we start Genesis 3, there's not all that much detail given about the serpent, is he? Is there? But the first thing that we can be sure of is that he is more than just a snake. Can't we? The serpent is more than just a snake. Now, how can we be sure of that? The serpent's more than the snake. Well, the first one's obvious, isn't it? The snake talks. How many times have you come across a snake that talks? That surely points to the fact that there is more here going on than just a snake. Okay, another thing. Later on in the chapter, this serpent that we've got, he's pictured in a kind of future battle. We're told in Genesis 3 that there was going to be this sort of cosmic battle between the serpent and the seed of the woman. So again, what does that tell us? That tells us that there's more here than just some snake. And then, crucially, most crucially of all, how do we know that there is an evil power behind the snake? How do we know it? Because the Bible tells us that, doesn't it? You Revelation, um, know, Revelation 20, verse 2 it says this, it says that this ancient serpent is the devil. This ancient serpent is Satan. So who's the evil one? He's more than just a snake. Okay, further thing, who's this evil one? He's more than just a snake, but he is less than God. More than just a snake. that he is less than God. How do we know this? Well, again, folks, the Bible tells us that, doesn't it? What does the Bible say about Satan? Well, Scripture speaks of Satan as being a fallen angel. Scripture tells us that Satan is a created being. That he was an angel that rebelled against God and that was thrown out of heaven. Isaiah 14:12 says, "How you have fallen, O morning star, son of the dawn, you have been cast down to the earth." So you get it? The devil's a created being, created. And that's that inferior status is emphasized in the first verse of Genesis 3 because how is the snake described? You see it in the first verse? We're told that the snake was a wild animal, aren't we? But not just that. What else are we told? We're told that it is a wild animal that the Lord God had made. It's a created being. You see, friends, there might well be, in fact, there is, great mystery. Surrounding the origins of evil. There's a lot that we are not told. But we can be sure of this. The Bible does not teach dualism. The Bible does not teach that the powers of good and evil are equal powers. They are not equal powers you see in scripture satan is pictured as one who has been created all the way through scripture satan is pictured as one who has been defeated and who will be defeated so what do we have here who is this evil one he is one who is more than just a snake, but he's a created being. He is one less than God. One less than God. Okay, so that's something of who the uh, evil one is. But what do we learn here about how Satan acts? What do we learn about who, how he acts? Well, For today's purposes, let's think about three things that we learn here about how Satan acts, okay? Three things, beginning with S, that characterize how the devil works. Three things, beginning with S, that characterize how the devil works. So you're ready for them. The first one is that he's subtle. The devil is subtle. And we see that in the very first words that the devil says to Eve in this section of scripture. What very first words in this conversation we see them. He comes up to Eve, he slithers up to Eve if you like, and he says to her, Eve, did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did, did God really say that? Do you get it? Do you see how subtle it is? Satan is trying to disturb her. Satan is trying to insert doubt into Eve's mind. And then notice something else. Notice that he misquotes God when he's speaking to Eve, doesn't he? You know, if if you cast your mind back to God's command and his prohibition in in chapter 2, his prohibition about eating from the tree... Do you remember what God said? God said it was one tree that Adam and Eve were not allowed to eat from. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But have a look what he says here. Look what the devil says. He, he comes up to Eve and says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So do you, Do you get the subtlety of all the gentleness almost of how he goes about doing this? The devil doesn't come charging up to Eve and start decrying God and denouncing God. The devil doesn't come up to Eve and start blaspheming the name of God. No, it's altogether much more subtle, much more gentle than that. And I would say to you this morning, folks, that you should expect a similarly subtle attack from the devil in your life. You should be expecting subtle attacks. You see, when the devil works, he's not going to attach a big sort of flashing neon arrow And we see it say, you know, this is here to test you. This is here to tempt you. The devil doesn't work always with a bang. The devil, he works with a drip, drip, drip of problems at home. Problems in the family, a drip, drip, drip of extra pressures of work, of things that are going to push out the devotional time we spend with God, our Father. So he is subtle. There is no doubt he is subtle. But our second S, that subtlety, your second S, is that the devil is also surprising, isn't he? The devil works in surprising ways. Now, you could argue that the very fact that Satan chooses a snake is kind of surprising. Why not a bear? Why not a lion? Something that's going to intimidate Eve by its sheer size. Much more than that. What's surprising is who he goes to, isn't it? Who does he go to? If we were in his position and if we were trying to get humanity to turn away from God if we were trying to twist this family situation, who would we go to? We would go to the head of the family, wouldn't we? We would go to Adam, but he doesn't do that. The devil works in surprising ways and he goes to Eve. And again, folks, it's the same thing. I would say to you this morning... You should be reading this text. You should be listening to this stuff in Genesis 3. And you should be expecting the unexpected from the father of lies. You should be expecting the devil to work in your life in the most unexpected of ways. You see, the devil is going to use the people who are closest to you. The devil... Is going to use the people in your life that you love and who love you. The devil is even going to use people in your church to lure you into sin. And I would say this to you this morning. Please hear this. That is why you must have a consistent spiritual life. There must be consistency. In your spiritual life. You see, we don't know how the devil's going to work. We don't know when the devil's going to work. All we know is that he is going to work. So we must be consistent. We must be regular in our prayer. We must be regular in seeking God. In his word. So he's subtle, isn't he? Very subtle. And then he's surprising. But we've got a third S, and that is that the devil's smart. The devil is smart. And this is so crucial that the text spells it out for us. It makes it abundantly clear. What is the only adjective that is used to describe the snake? in this portion of scripture. What's the only adjective? Have a wee look. The snake is called crafty. He's called crafty. Now, we've, that translation's maybe not great because the word doesn't have the negative connotations that we associate with it. You know, when we think about the word crafty, we think of sneakiness, something like that. That's not what the text is saying. The text is saying, this snake is wise. This snake is clever. This snake is intelligent. And he is, isn't he? The devil is just so clever. See, he knows that if he if he sort of comes up to Eve with this full-on assault, he knows that Eve will reject it straight away, doesn't he? So what we've seen, he, he, he starts subtly. We've seen that, but then what does he do? He's clever. So he builds it up. There's this sort of crescendo in his attack. And then what happens? We get to about verse 4, and he is openly, blatantly contradicting God. Look what he says in verse 4. He says, despite what God says, if you eat the fruit, you will not surely die. And friend, I would say to you this morning, if you are a Christian, then hear this. Do not underestimate your foe. Do not underestimate your foe. And I would say perhaps to the younger people, to the students, to the younger folks, don't underestimate the devil. And watch the conversations that you have about God. Watch the conversations that you have about God. You know, with you, at uni, or with your friends, if people come up to you and they're wanting to talk about God, but they come with an obviously, ungodly agenda, then watch yourself be very, very wary of that. Because you see, what we've got before us here in Genesis 3 is the very first conversation about God, isn't it? And what should Eve have done? Eve shouldn't have engaged with the serpent. Eve should have turned and Eve should have run. So what we've seen so far, we've seen the origins of sin. That this evil one exists, that he is more than a snake. And the evil one is less than God. And we've seen how he works. We've seen in this portion of scripture that he's very subtle in the way that he attacks God's people. He's surprising in how he goes about doing it. And he is very, very smart. Okay. Now there's a TV program, I don't know if it's on just now, but I think it's called the Matt Lucas Awards, and it's shown when it's on, I think it's maybe BC2 and it's kind of prime time, comedy show, the Matt Lucas Awards. And one episode I saw, it dealt with the Bible, okay? And it really was just attacking, for part of the program, it was just attacking God's word. And there was a question for the panel, you know, there was, uh, the likes of, I think, Julian Clary and a couple of other chaps were on it. It's supposed to be funny, and the question for the panel was this. It was, which story in the Bible, which story from the Bible is the most unbelievable story That was was the question that was set to them. And during the course of the program, the panel read out these seven words, these seven verses, rather. This was the section they read out. And this was the section that they voted the most unbelievable in all of Scripture. And the reason that they gave for that, the reason was kind of summed up by Matt Lucas at the end. He, He said... Genesis 3 is unbelievable because the punishment doesn't fit the crime. You see what he's saying? Well, Lucas is saying, you know, Adam and Eve faced death, okay? They were chucked out of the garden. They faced the awesome wrath of God. And in his view, it was just because they took a bite out of a bit of fruit. So he says the punishment doesn't fit the crime. But folks, hopefully just now we'll see that that is a fundamental misunderstanding. And it's a fundamental misunderstanding of our second major heading. And that is the nature of sin. The nature of sin. So we've seen, you know, we've we've talked a bit about the devil, haven't we? The evil one. Let's sort of shift our attention and let's think about the woman here. How does the woman react to all this stuff that's going on, all this sort of temptation from the devil? How does the woman react and what does that show us about the nature of sin? And there's just two things that need to be mentioned here. The first one's this. Number one, sin. Stems from an indifference to God's word. Sin comes from; it stems from an indifference to God's word. Now, sounds great. What does it mean? Sin stems from an indifference to God's word. Well, let's look at what Eve says to the snake. So we've seen that the the, the snake comes along. The devil comes along, the devil gets God's prohibition wrong. We saw that, you know, this command that he's given Adam and Eve, the devil twists it, the devil gets it wrong, doesn't he? But look, look what happens. Amazingly, so does Eve. Eve gets the prohibition wrong too. Now, she knows roughly what God has said in chapter 2. there's a kind of fogginess to it. There's, There's almost like a sort of mist descends here because in verse three, she doesn't talk about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in verse three. What does she say instead? She's much more general about things. She talks about a tree in the midst of the garden. A tree in the midst of the garden. Do you see the point? She's not thinking about this prohibition. She's not thinking about the tree in terms of its grand significance. She's thinking about the tree just in terms of its geography. Just in terms of its location. And then, more than that, look what she does. Look what she does. She adds to God's word doesn 't she now God has said in this prohibition he 's told Adam and Eve that they mustn 't eat from the tree, but Eve adds a nice little flourish doesn 't she she adds what is a, a a sinful alteration here you know she says to Satan that Adam and Eve mustn't eat from the tree and, on top of that, they mustn't touch it either. She adds to God's word. She adds to what God has said. And then, get this. This is the most telling thing of all. Eve gets the consequence of disobedience wrong too. Doesn't she? She gets the consequence of all this wrong. You see, She's speaking to the devil. And she misses out the certainty of death upon disobedience to God. Now, you might argue with me on that. And you might say, well, well, she does. Because she says that if they eat from the fruit, they'll die. But that's a watered down version of the truth, isn't it? Because look what God actually says in in chapter 2. He says to Adam and Eve, if you do this, you will surely die. I know it's subtle, and I know that it's a minor variation, but it is also telling You know, Eve is thinking about this in terms of the fact that if she does this, then maybe, probably, she might face death. But the truth is much more severe than that. The truth is, if she does this, there is certainty, there is absolute surety that she will face her demise. Now, are you doing that? Are you making that same mistake? Are you taking God's word too casually? Are you too flippant about the Bible? Are you perhaps too relaxed about the commands of God? You know, are there areas in, in, in your life just now, For you know exactly what God has to say on the matter. You know exactly what he has commanded. You know exactly what is involved in disobedience. But yet, you are still embracing these sinful things. Is that where you are? are? See what happens in Genesis 3 here. You know, Eve treats God's word with an indifference. You know, she treats it almost with contempt. And what happens? It leads to sin, yeah. It leads to punishment. And it leads, ultimately, to death. So sin stems from an indifference to God's word. But the second thing, I said there was two things about the second point, the nature of sin. And the second point is that sin is open treason against God. Do you think of sin in those terms? Sin is treason. Treason against God. And I was going to say there that the focus has got to be in the high point of this chapter because in verse 6 we get to kind of the climax and the apex of it all, don't we? But it's not the high point. I don't suppose we can call it the high point. We have to call it the low point. Because in verse 6 we read... What are the most serious words of all time? In verse 6, we read that Eve saw the fruit. She took the fruit. She ate the fruit. And she gave it to Adam. In verse 6, we read of the fall. We read of humanity falling into sin. And we also see there that no matter how funny you might think the guy is, and you might, That's fine, no matter how hilarious you think this guy is. We see here that Matt Lucas is wrong about Genesis 3, don't we? Why is he wrong? Well, the problem here is not just that a bite was taken out of a piece of fruit. The problem in Genesis 3 is a much, much more significant and, and, and earth-shattering problem. The problem of Genesis 3 is the problem of treason. It's treasonous what they do here. Because you see, what man does is he tries to flick the order of things on its head. The woman doesn't listen to God anymore. The woman listens to a snake. Man, he doesn't listen to God anymore. What does man do? Man listens to the woman. You see, it's the created order getting together and rebelling against the creator. It is those that God has identified as his representatives on earth. God's ambassadors on earth. Getting together. Knive against. God, What we've got is a full-blown mutiny. And it's a mutiny with a thirst for power at its heart. Because why does Eve do it? Why does she do this? She takes the fruit because we're told she wants to be like God. There's a thirst for power. And she sees the fruit and then... Please hear this. Please look at what we're told in this chilling echo of the way in which God spoke about His creation in chapter 1. We are told that Eve saw the fruit. And she saw that it was good. She saw that it was good. Now friends, I would urge you this morning not to make the same mistake that Eve made. I would urge you not to make the same mistake that Lucas makes. And don't reduce the significance of your sin in your mind. Don't see your sin as insignificant. Don't think, it's okay, you know, I'm going to be fine. I haven't done anything all that bad in my life. Because we read here in Genesis 3 that no matter how inconsequential you think your sin is, We read that sin is sin. Sin is disobedience. Sin is treason against a loving God. And I just want to end with this closing thought. Don't worry, it's not a sneaky third point. But what What are the consequences of this action here? What does this lead to? You know, there's all this deception by the serpent. There's all this wickedness. There's all this slyness going on here. There's all this disobedience. What does it lead to? It leads to shame. It leads to absolute shame. Because remember where we left things last week? In chapter 2, what was the the picture we had at the end of chapter 2? Gavin read it out. We had Adam and Eve before sin, happy in their nakedness in the garden. But now what happens? Well, now their eyes are open. They see their wickedness and they try to cover up in this first of countless attempts At salvation by works. Adam and Eve. Sow fig leaves together. And try and cover up their sin. But guess what? It doesn't work. We read in Genesis chapter 3. Later on in the chapter. That God has to step in. That he has to make them. A garment of skin. The leaves are insufficient. They don't work. Adam and Eve cannot cover up the shame of their sin. And is that what you're doing here today? Are you just here trying to cover up the shame of your sin by maybe attending a couple of church services, by maybe, you know, reading the Bible now and again, by maybe just being nice to a a couple of Christians here on a Sunday? Are you trying to cover up the shame of your sin from God? Well, guess what? You can't do it. You cannot cover up the shame of your sin. But praise God. What is the message of the gospel? The message of the gospel is that he sent a second Adam. He has sent a last Adam. And in Him, in Jesus Christ, you can be covered up. In Jesus Christ, you can have suitable garments. In Jesus Christ, you can be clothed in righteousness. Isn't that amazing? What a God we have, and what a gospel. He's given us. Let's pray.